Today's reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Jonathan, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't uh, met before, my name's Ian. I've been a member here at TCU since we opened in 2018, and last year I completed a Master's of Divinity degree at the Bible College of South Australia. And this is the second of two sermons that Carl has invited me to preach on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul seems to have had a considerable affection for the church at Philippi, perhaps because of, because of the welcome he received there on his first visit to Greece. In this letter, he's seeking to encourage the Philippians in their witness for advancing the gospel. He wants them to follow his example, undaunted by opposition, and today we'll be looking at one part of how they can build their community to support each other in this work. Now, if you were here last week, you may recall that I showed you uh, told you about one of my favorite science fiction authors, James White, and showed a rather scary picture from the cover of one of his books. Today I'd like to start with another book, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. This isn't actually a picture of my book. I did own it, but it's gone missing. I'm fairly sure it was borrowed by one of my uh, atheist co work colleagues and never returned. And you'd better take it off now, because I don't want anyone to get the idea I'm recommending it. I don't actually remember how I came to buy it. It's a presentation in novel form of Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism, which proclaims the virtue of selfishness and the weakness of altruism. The hero, John Galt, struck me as one of the least likable heroes I'd ever encountered. It's a very long and rather tedious read. In a very brief summary, John Galt, in opposition to the socialist tendencies of the society in the USA, leads a strike of the clever people, thus bringing the country to its knees and being able to start again with the rugged individualists. And they all live happily ever after, except the socialists and other evil people. It struck me at the time as totally unrealistic. Just one example. One of the minor heroes, uh, Ragnar Danischolt, is a pirate who attacks ships on the open sea but of course, only ships belonging to socialists and other evil people. Not much like how real pirates behave. 
So given I'm not recommending that you read this book, in fact, I'm probably recommending you don't read it, it's too boring, why am I telling you about it and its philosophy? Well, for two reasons. First, because it's not too different from the philosophy of Rome and Philippi at the time when Paul was writing. And second, because Ayn Rand's philosophy has had some influence on today's culture. How many ads do we see on television that tell us it's all about you? This week, we're looking at the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi. We'll hear from Paul about his philosophy, and we'll see something that's dramatically different to Ayn Rand's message. It'll be helpful to recap some of the background. Philippi, we've got a map up here, um, was one of the first cities that Paul visited in Greece, the region then called Macedonia. Here it is on the map on the left-hand side as you look at it. Philippi had the status of a Roman colony, which gave it a privileged position, equivalent to a city on Roman soil. Many veterans of the Roman army had been granted land there, and Roman influence would have been strong, including an emphasis on the worship of the emperor. As I said, the philosophy of the time had something in common with Ayn Rand's. Altruism was seen as weakness. Looking out for number one was the accepted way to go. Humility had been condemned by the famous philosopher Aristotle as a sinful pretense. It was essential to know your place in a structured hierarchy. Advancement was by kowtowing to your superiors to gain preference over your peers, and you lorded it over your inferiors. The poor, and particularly slaves, were at the mercy of their masters. Not much like the gospel. But this is the context in which Paul is writing. Worship Caesar, appease your masters, look out for number one. So what does Paul have to say? Let's have a look. Would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and word 1. Yes, I did say word 1. Therefore, this tells us, of course, that this passage links back to what Paul wrote at the end of chapter 1. This section of chapter 2 is a consequence of what he's just written. And so, what has he just written? If you look back to the last two verses of the previous chapter, Philippians chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, we see that Paul wrote, It has been granted to you to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had. Now, it's not absolutely clear which struggle Paul is referring to. Perhaps the most likely, though, is the one he had while he was in Philippi, the one they saw that he had, which led to him being imprisoned. In Acts 16, we read that he healed a girl who was possessed by an evil spirit. Sounds good. However, she was enslaved, so her owners could make money from the show. Her healing cost them money. So they trumped up charges against Paul and had him thrown into jail. His struggle there was against the powerful and selfish who cared nothing for the girl, only for their own profits. Paul's struggle was against a culture of pride and selfishness. Well, that's only my guess about what the struggle was. The Philippians probably understood better. But it does fit well with the response that Paul is calling for, which is our main point today. It's that response we'll look at in chapter 2. Paul starts then by saying, you are engaged in a struggle, therefore. And then he does keep us hanging a bit before he gets to the point. Let's look at the rest of the verse 1. 
Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul is actually being a bit subtle here. He's challenging the Philippians. He could have said something like, therefore, because you have such encouragement, comfort, and fellowship, then... But he's actually drawing them in, maybe us too. If you have these things, inviting them or us to think to themselves, well, of course we have encouragement, comfort, and fellowship, getting them engaged in the discussion. Then in verse 2, we find at last that the response Paul is asking for. Have the same mind, the same love, the same spirit. Why are these needed? Look at the difference between the qualities listed in verse 1 and those in verse 2. In verse 1, we have encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness, compassion. All these are about emotional relationships, encouraging each other, giving comfort, sharing fellowship, showing tenderness and compassion. But then in verse 2, Paul asks them to add something to their emotional connection, a unity of thinking, being of the same mind, having the same love, being one in spirit. Why do they need this? Well, let me tell you a story about a project I worked on quite a few years ago. I'd taken a break from the hard science and was working on quality improvement with some commercial clients. We did a study of how project teams operated. One of my colleagues was a psychologist, and we were using the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator. Some of you may well have heard about that. One of the aspects it looks at is thinking versus feeling. Do you make decisions based primarily on analysis or on emotion? There were two teams that were particularly interesting. In one, almost all of the members were the feeling types. The other was the opposite, all thinking types. The first team had a great time. They got together regularly and brainstormed the issues over coffee and homemade muffins. Well, actually, I made up the muffins, but you, you get the picture. Unfortunately, they never got to looking for solutions to the problems they were addressing. Now, the other team, the thinkers, worked much better. In a couple of meetings, they'd identified and analyzed the problem and worked out the optimal solution. Unfortunately, however, they hadn't thought about how other people might respond, particularly those who had, put, who had to put the plan into practice. So their plan was shelved and never turned into reality. The lesson from this was that you need both the rational thought and emotional empathy for successful change. Maybe there's a lesson here for us to, as we seek to advance the gospel. We need thinkers and feelers in our community, and we need to encourage everyone, whatever personality type they may be, to be involved in advancing the gospel. Now, I think maybe the church at Philippi was a bit like my first team, the feelers. They were caring and compassionate, but there were some underlying problems that weren't being addressed. If you skip ahead for a moment to Philippians 4 and verse 2, we see Paul appealing to two women, Euodia and Syntyche, to have the same mind. Just what he's urging on the whole church in today's passage. Paul is calling them to a unity of mind and spirit, thinking about their common faith and forming a common understanding, building up the body of Christ in unity as they face opposition to the gospel. So, to summarize what Paul's written to the Philippians so far, 
Since you are in a time of struggle, you do indeed need to feel love for each other and comfort each other, but you need more. You need to be united in mind, not letting arguments divide you. You need to be united in mind and spirit. Verses 3 and 4 expand this further. What does it look like to be of the same mind? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I suspect we've all come across people who have an amazing ability to turn any conversation to themselves. Whatever you may say, they know something or have done something bigger or better, and they'll tell you about it. I know one at TCU, of course. Paul says we must be the opposite of this. Verse 3, in humility, value others above yourself. The Greek word means to treat the others as rulers, to accord them higher status, to treat them as if they were your superiors in the cultural hierarchy. Now, if you were nailed it last night, you might have had a chance to experience this. Um, submitting to the superior knowledge of the children about the characters in Bluey, this was not normal behavior in the hierarchical Roman world. Then Paul goes on in verse 4. We must consider each other's interests as if they were our own. Again, not in accordance with the prevailing self-centered philosophy. But why? Why should the Philippians and why should we do something that's so countercultural? Paul has a simple answer in verse 5. Because we have the example of Christ... Verses 6 to 11, look at our supreme example of behavior, Jesus Christ. It's been suggested that this is a hymn that Paul quotes here. It's sometimes called the Christ hymn. There's debate over that, but just in case it wasn't written as a hymn, the gap has been filled by Mark Peterson. We'll be singing one of his songs in a few minutes. But looking back to our Bibles, verse 6, Jesus was in very nature God, a clear statement of his high status the beginning of the concept of the Trinity. But in its context, it was actually a bit more. The idea wouldn't be that new to the Philippians because Caesar was in very nature God. To be worshipped, a failure to worship Caesar could be seen as treason. From the first, this statement, Jesus was in very nature God, can be seen as a challenge to the existing order. But despite his nature, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say something to be grasped. Many of us will have heard this statement so often that we take it for granted. But listen carefully to what it's saying. It is mind-boggling. What if they'd said that someone had imperial status but did not consider equality with Caesar something to be grasped? People would think they were crazy. With the death of Queen Elizabeth just over a week ago, we've been reminded of her uncle, Edward VIII, who abdicated the throne in 1936. For the love of a capable and talented woman, he gave up the status of king. But he kept his wealth and his standing in high society. And yet, for love of us, while we were still sinners, Jesus was willing to let go of an infinitely higher status. And he clung on to nothing. By his own choice, he made himself nothing. He took the nature of a slave, the lowest rank in society. Now remember, Paul is telling the Philippians this to spur them on to humbly serve each other. 
In using Jesus as an example, he's repeating what Jesus told his disciples so often. In John 13, we read the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and then telling them that the mark of his disciples is love for each other. And in Mark 9, Jesus tells them, the one who is first must be servant of all. And in verse 8 of our passage, Paul reminds us that Jesus went further than this, dying a shameful death on the cross. The great must be a slave, and the dying slave is made great. For then we look to the glorious words of verses 9 to 11. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, so that every knee shall bow at his name. Those in the empire bow to Caesar, but all creation will bow to Jesus. Those in the empire say, Caesar is Lord, and give glory to Caesar. But every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'd love to spend more time looking at this beautiful hymn, but we don't have all day. And while Paul is taking the opportunity to glorify Jesus, a good thing for us to do as well, he is also using the Christ hymn to tell the Philippians how they are to be united in a time of struggle. He tells them and us that they should have the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Once again, we need to pause and really hear those words. We should have the mind that was in Christ Jesus. The state of mind that would give up equality with God and become a slave. We should have that state of mind. Not clinging to status or wealth or education, even if you have a PhD or a Master of Divinity. Not concerned about getting our own way or keeping control. Rather, loving each other. Giving each other the respect due to a superior. Not concerned about recognition, but rather willing to take the role of a slave. All to give glory to God who loved the world so much that he gave his son. The world tells us that we are the center. Looking after others is not our job. Their problems are their worry. But Jesus gave us a new commandment. To love one another as he loved us and laid down his life for us. This love should be the mark of our community. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. There are many ways of serving here at TCU. There are rosters for the various roles within Sunday services and in children's ministry. Also for making meals for the sick and for new parents. One way to grow in fellowship and love for each other is through community groups. These meet regularly to get to know each other and to study the Bible together sharing experience and wisdom. They provide places where we can build the unity that will support us as we seek to advance the gospel. It's been really encouraging to see these groups growing in faith. And I'd like to thank all the leaders and the members of our community groups. If you're interested in any of those possibilities, please talk to Carl or one of the staff team or fill in one of the tear-off slips in the newsletter. But still, neither Sunday services nor community groups are ends in themselves. Our goal is to advance the gospel. I hope those of you who attended Sam Chan's talk a couple of weeks ago were encouraged to reach out to your friends. It was good to hear of non-Christian friends invited to Nailed It last night where they could see our community and feel the love we have for each other. Our goal is to build TCU as a community of faith that will advance the gospel. Remember Paul's argument in Philippians 2, We are to love each other emotionally and thoughtfully, 
so we can be in unity. Because we face struggles against the world and the pressures of this world's culture, holding us back from advancing the gospel. So let's take Paul's message seriously. Don't be fooled by the world into a lifestyle of selfishness, looking to have things our own way or demanding recognition for our service or achievements. No, we can look forward to the only recognition that matters. Jesus is welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. We can look forward to having things our own way when our wills are united with God's will and we see him face to face and our ways are conformed to his ways. Then we shall be able to do what we now only strive towards, to give him all the glory. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray for our community here at TCU. We see our imperfections and feel our failure to love as we should. Guide us and strengthen us as we seek to be your body in the world, a community of faith, a shining light advancing the gospel, calling the world to give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.